0: you have yet to open your Bibles, please open them to 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to be in verses 1 through 18 as Mark read for us. And so at the 2021 graduation ceremony of Fitchburg High School in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, Senior Verda Tete did something that surprised and even shocked the audience, her classmates, her teachers, and the administration. Verda had been nominated as class speaker and so she gave one of the, the talks at her graduation ceremony and she was also awarded her school's highest honor, the General Excellence Award, which came with a $40,000 scholarship to be used at the college that she was going to be attending. Well, near the end of the ceremony, uh, Verda, who is now a freshman at Harvard University, did something unexpected. She returned it to the microphone and in a very gracious and heartfelt and what seemed like an impromptu speech, asked the school administration to give her scholarship to another student, in particular, one who is going to be attending a community college. Now, what makes this story so radical in some ways and so surprising and so beautiful is that Verda did not come from a wealthy family. In fact, she, with her family, moved from Ghana when she was a young child, and like most immigrant families that come to the United States, had to work very hard to establish and make a life for themselves, and so she worked hard to earn various scholarships. She worked at a grocery store, all of this so she would have enough money to be able to attend the school of her dream, Harvard University. She wasn't a student and a, from a family that had an abundance of wealth to where giving this $40,000 away was just, hey, I've got so much, this is no big deal. No, it cost her to give this scholarship money away. It, it was not out of an abundance, but actually out of a lack that she gives this scholarship money. Now, Verda attributed this decision, one, to her Christian faith, and second, to having been repeatedly shaped, informed by her family and by her her school itself, hey, you should help others in need. You should care for others in need. It's a a beautiful story and one that we admire. But let's be honest for a second. Let's just be honest about how what she did was incredibly difficult, incredibly hard, incredibly counterintuitive in some ways. Look, When we think about students who come from immigrant families and work hard to earn money and earn scholarship to be able to go to an incredibly expensive and prestigious university, where we hear these stories and we rejoice in those stories, but how often do we hear students in that position saying, hey, here's $40,000 that I could use. I want someone else to have it. Incredibly, incredibly shocking in some ways. Hard to do. And why do we know it's hard to do? Because it's rare. It doesn't happen every day. We don't hear stories like this every day in the news. We don't encounter students like this every day. Now, she had every right to this money. No one would have faulted her if she would have taken this forty thousand dollars and used for her own education. She had earned it, and yet she laid down her right to that money so that someone else could benefit would you have done that? I can't say that I would have. Would would, would he think of this kind of move when it comes to the blessings, the rights, the freedoms, the privileges that we have both as Christians and as Americans? I want us to appreciate how difficult and rare this decision was, because I don't think our culture, even though there are pockets where this happens, I don't think our culture overall shapes us to be this way. We're we're taught, rather, to make the full use of our rights and our freedoms and our privileges, the the things that we have worked hard for. We should fight for them. We shouldn't be so willing to just give them up and part from them. And look, this isn't necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. Working hard for things, earning, that is good. And and making the full right, uh, using those, the full right and privilege of those things can be good. And so this isn't a bad thing in and of itself. However, here's the problem. In our sin, we take good things and make them ultimate things. In our sin, we will take hold of things that we have been given as gifts and even things that we have earned, and we will make demands. We will demand rights and privileges and comforts. We'll we'll demand freedoms. We'll demand that we are given every benefit. And in that, we become tight-fisted. We become combative when it comes to rights and privileges in freedoms. The thought of them being taken, taken away throws us into a rage, right? Can we be honest? <laughs> that the idea that, that someone would actually take something from us makes us put up our fists. And then the thought of actually just freely giving things away. Really? <laughs> do, do we think about that or are we like, no, this is something I'm going to hold on to I earn this. This is mine. I have every right to this. Like we fight for rights and privileges. We get angry at the suggestion we could lose them or the suggestion we give them away. But in 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 18, an entirely different picture is painted. A picture of something difficult and rare, living for the good of others by willingly giving away rights, privileges, comforts, freedoms. And so the question for us this morning is in light of God's word, are we willing to do the hard and rare thing? Are we really to engage in that hard work and get into that spiritual fight in order that our hearts are shaped such that we are willing to lay down and give up things that we might otherwise fight to hold on to? Because make no mistake, friends, what God's word calls us to this morning is hard work. We're not shaped this way. We're not wired to do this naturally. We need the Spirit to reshape us. This is going to be very, very hard work. And so, the title of my message this morning, with apologies to the Beastie Boys, you gotta fight to lay down your rights. Some of you are all thinking, is he gonna really go there? No. You gotta fight to lay down your rights. And here's the main point for us from this text. Rather than demanding rights, followers of Jesus willingly lay, lay down rights. Rather than demanding rights, followers of Jesus willingly lay down rights. Now, before we go any further, I need to qualify something here. I want to clarify a couple points. Because as Americans, it's easy for us to hear the language of 1 Corinthians 9 and immediately go political. Just the way we're wired and so a couple things. First, 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 1-18 is not a political argument. It's not an argument to say, hey, just give all your rights over to the government. This is not what is in view that has nothing to do with what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And I know, I know, because I'm the same way. It is hard to detangle what Paul's talking about from political rights. But Please, for the sake of our health as Christians, let us learn through the Spirit and through the Word to untangle some of this and detach some of this. Look, political freedom, political freedom is so often a matter of justice. And God's word upholds justice. And so this is not an argument to just give everything over and live in an unjust society where the government can do whatever it wants. That is not what is being talked about here. And so if you are tempted to think that while you hear this passage, you're not hearing correctly. Second, and more importantly, Paul's language of rights and freedoms are rights and freedoms in Christ. Again, not politics, in Christ. He's talking about freedoms and rights granted within Christian community through things that the Christian faith allows for. Are there ways these things overlap with politics? Absolutely. But as Paul is not talking about the political, we we need to be careful, we need to be careful that in application, because there's so many ways we can apply this politically, that in application we're not bypassing We're not bypassing things that are more in front of us. And so I want us to be aware and call attention to this. Now, does some of what he says affect politics and and how we think about rights? Absolutely. But that's secondary. And so let us lean into God's word this morning, being careful of our own prejudices and the ways that we tend to filter things, and listen to what God's word calls us to in the midst of a culture that really is doing its best to shape us as those who demand rights and want to fight for them. And so, to our main point, to unpack this main point, well, let's start here by just noticing and noting that Paul starts his argument by affirming rights. He actually asserts and argues for rights. He, he's not saying that we don't have rights and freedoms in Christ. He's not saying that there are no privileges afforded to us, but in fact, there are. We do have them. Praise God for them. We talked about this a little bit last week. Here's where he begins in verse one. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord Jesus? This was a qualification to be an apostle. So Paul is starting off by asserting his position of authority and his position to uh, teach as an apostle. Apostle. And as an apostle, he has certain rights. He has certain privileges. He has certain freedoms in Christ. And he's drawing attention to this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink, he asks in verse four? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brother and Cephas? You see the other apostles, Paul says, hey, they eat and drink, don't they? They they have wives. They, They get paid to do gospel ministry. Like, We have this right, right? Or or am I just like this weird outlier? We, Me and Barnabas, just this weird outlier. The answer is no. And so he's pointing to the example of others in ministry to establish that he has rights. Then in verse seven, he focuses on the particular right and freedom to be paid for gospel ministry. Now, if you think this is a passage in a sermon about why you should pay your pastor, no. That's not what Paul is talking about. This is an example of a larger argument. So as if some of you are thinking, oh, great, here we go. He's going to talk about giving money so he can get paid. No, that's not the point of this passage. But Paul does highlight this example as an example of one of the rights that he has as an apostle. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruits? or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock. So Paul uses some examples from the work world that in some ways parallel gospel ministry in order to make this point that it is right to actually be paid to do gospel ministry. He says, hey, soldiers, and those of you that are in the military recognize this, you don't soldier, you're in the military at your own expense. You're given provisions, you're paid for that job. Those that are plant vineyards, those that farm They benefit materially from some of their crop. They can eat some of their crop. Those that are shepherds, they drink the milk from their flock. This is good and right and normal. No one's going to argue with this arrangement. And just so, Paul and others in gospel ministry have every right to get paid for their work. And just in case someone wants to say, why, Paul, you're just being worldly about this. You're just thinking about this from the world's perspective— he also points to scripture. In verse 8, he says, am I saying this from a human perspective? He sort of anticipates the argument. Does the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? In other words, is that verse really about oxen? Isn't he really saying it is it for our sake, Yes, this is written for our sake, because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? So the law of Moses, which is the core teaching of the Old Testament, affirms that spiritual work should result in material gain. You know, that whole analogy of oxen and grain, that that isn't really about oxen. It's about people that serve spiritually that they may receive material benefits but there's even more scriptural support don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar in the same way the lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel And so again, he's pointing to an example. Within the Old Testament and Jewish religious practice, those who worked in the temple, the priests, benefited materially from their work. Now, that wasn't their main motivation. They were there to do spiritual work and care for God's people. But this was a right and a privilege and a benefit that was theirs. And Jesus points to this himself. And so Paul kind of pulls out the ultimate trump card. You want to argue with me? That's one thing. You want to argue with Jesus? Didn't think so? Point made. And so Paul bends over backwards in some ways to make his point. He, he, he draws from just this sense of, hey, in ministry, the other apostles are doing this, and you're not complaining about that. If you look at the world of work, you see that this is right and good. And then also God's word supports this as well. And so points after points after point here, all driving home. Hey, I have a right, I have a privilege, I have a freedom here to get paid as the one who is doing gospel ministry. It's a strong case. It's an airtight case. And funny enough, Paul in some ways, sounds very American here, doesn't he? I have rights, and let me prove it. Let me argue from experience, let me argue from economics, and let me argue from the law. I mean, it is a strong case, and we love seeing this kind of thing when someone stands up for their rights and their freedoms, Right? I know as a pastor, I love the sound of these verses. I, I, I love that, that, that I am free to eat and drink. I love that I am able to take a believing wife. It's good because I'm married. I, I, I am thankful that I get to be paid to do this. And so I, I love these verses. And look, the problem, the problem is not that we have rights and freedoms and comforts. This is actually a good thing. We we have these things in Christ as Christians, and we should affirm them. We should celebrate them. We should even defend them as Paul does here. These are real joys. These are real benefits. We should never let anyone minimize them or act as if they're not there or try to argue against them, but rather We should affirm them because these are good gifts that Jesus himself has given to us. So the problem is not having them or even defending them. The problem is when we selfishly demand them. You see, Paul bends over backwards to defend his rights and freedoms. He, he, he's, right, he's, he's getting right into the, sort of the face of the Corinthians and saying, you know, you don't really have any sort of argument against me having this right. If anyone had rights and freedoms in the church, it was Paul. But right at this point, the, 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 sort of the point of his strongest defense, right at the point where we're like, yeah, Paul, tell him we got rights, here's what he does. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. I mean, right at the point where he's got the Corinthians, and he's like, I got you. You can't argue against me. I have these rights. Nevertheless, I've not made use of it. The moment he's got it, he lays it down. He he doesn't defend to demand it. He defends it and then lays it down. I mean, you see, the Corinthians were exposed in this. You see, the Corinthians wanted to defend their rights in order to demand them, but Paul was saying, rather than demand your rights, you need to willingly lay them down. Paul exposes their selfishness in his own life, and his own example. And so I wonder, for us, First City Church, do we defend our rights so we can demand them? Or do we defend them as a good thing, but in that moment, at the same time, say, I'm willing to lay this down, nevertheless? I've not made use of this right. Because here's what I think we need to be honest about. So much of our defense of our rights and freedoms and comforts is less about those things just being a good and those things being a gift from God and something that we can celebrate and find joy in. And it's more about our comfort and our status and our identity. It's more about what we get from them. That's why we fight. That's why we demand. I mean, think about this. Like, there are some freedoms in Christ that we have that if someone asks you to lay them down, you're like, sure, no problem. You, look, I, I, I love a good IPA, but if the Lord called me never to drink alcohol again, I'd be like, fine, Lord, no problem there. I'm with you. Why? Because I don't find comfort in alcohol. I don't don't find identity in that. It's not something that I have to do, and my my sense of self isn't wrapped up in that. And so it is easy for me to lay that down. But if you were to step on my right to get paid as a pastor, now you're stepping on my comfort. Now you're stepping on my livelihood. And now you're stepping on this sense of, hey, I love this job. I love being able to do this. And and so now you're telling me I can not get paid. That's going to mess with my sense of self. Now, <laughs> I'm not saying that my motivations for being a pastor are money. <laughs> I'm not saying that, that my motivations are wrong. But, but I, I just want to emphasize and, and sort of get us to consider when the freedoms that we have start to really get close and maybe start to step on certain things that we hold dearly, that's when we're going to be tempted to demand our rights. That's when we're going to be tempted to defend in order to demand that's when it's going to be harder to become open-handed before the Lord and others and lay them down. And so hear me on this. Well, whatever that thing is that comes to mind when you think about, like, if the Lord, like, like, which you kind of are tempted to demand, I'm not saying the Lord is for sure calling you to lay that down. You know, I'll be honest. I, I, I hope he never calls me to lay down being paid as a pastor. Maybe he will someday. But I, I don't necessarily want that to happen. So I'm not saying the Lord is going to do this or that it's wrong for you to take full advantage of that right and that privilege, whatever it may be. But what if the Lord does? What if he does for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of his glory, for the good of someone else, for whatever reason he has, what if the Lord does ask you to lay that thing down? Could you do it? Could you hold that loosely enough to lay it down rather than demand it? Is your heart oriented such that you don't defend to demand, but rather you can defend while holding it loosely? Does your heart demand rights, or is it willing to lay them down? Now, why does Paul lay down his rights? Why was he willing to lay down his rights and freedoms? Well, the fullness of verse 12, he gives us one reason. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel. Now, we're going to look at this point, this angle more closely next week in the coming verses. But but just want to mention here, one of the reasons why Paul lays down his right, in particular, the right to get paid, is so that the gospel of Christ will not be hindered. He doesn't want to trip up the gospel, so to speak, He doesn't want to put a stumbling block in the way of the gospel going forward to people and people coming to know Christ. He's willing to endure. This is literally, he's willing to put up with everything. He will put up with any hardship, any difficulty, any any pain that getting paid to do gospel ministry would relieve in order that the gospel would not be tripped up. He would be willing to work an extra job if he has to, or not live with certain comforts if it meant that the gospel was not going to be hindered. But Paul had no qualms about the gospel tripping people up. That the gospel is offensive to the unrepentant and the prideful and, and, and the unbelieving. But he didn't want the God himself to be the thing that was tripped over. Trip over the gospel all you want, but don't trip over me, please. Whatever I have to do so that you would not trip over me, I will lay down whatever rights I need to. Whatever the Lord calls me to, whatever the situation calls for, I'm willing for the sake of the gospel going forward so that others may know Christ and be transformed by him. That's far, 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 far more important than any right or privilege or freedom that I may enjoy. But there's more to it. As Paul goes on in verse 15, for my part, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than anyone than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. So for Paul laying down his rights, this allowed him to boast in something. Well, what, is, what is he talking about that here? Now, when you see this word boast, you don't think Paul is getting arrogant and self-important. You know, the word boast can also be translated glory in rejoice in. Get excited about. So what does Paul get excited about when he lays down his rights? What is the thing that laying down his rights allows him to glory in? Well, as he continues in verses 16 through 18, for if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For If I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? to preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel. As an apostle, Paul was commissioned by Jesus, by Jesus personally. Jesus came to him. He saw Jesus in the flesh. And Jesus commissioned him to go to preach the gospel and start churches throughout the world. And this com- commission compelled him. As one faithful to his king, Paul had no choice but to go. He says, Woe to me! I'm going to be in anguish and agony if I don't go and preach the gospel. I'm compelled to do this. However, as he points out in verse 16, he doesn't boast or glory in just the preaching of the gospel, not because it's something small. No, it's something very big, and there's a glory in and of itself in preaching the gospel. But that, as an apostle, this is what he was called to do. There's nothing remarkable about an apostle preaching the gospel, just like there's nothing remarkable about a soldier going into war. That's what you've been commissioned to do. That's your duty. Faithfulness to your king, to your commander, requires that you do that. And so Paul recognized this. Hey, this is, this is just who I am as an apostle, There's nothing extra special about me going and preaching the gospel because this is what I'm supposed to do. So he's not glorying in that he preaches the gospel, but how he preaches the gospel. There's the boast. There's the glorying. There's the thing he's rejoicing in. And what specifically? Being able to make it free of charge and not making full use of his rights. What was glorious for Paul? What does he say? I would rather die than you be able to take away from me? being able to lay down his rights in order to preach the gospel to other people. Why is Paul so fired up? Why would Paul say, I'd rather you kill me than take away my ability to lay down my rights? Well, because in that, Paul gets to be just like Jesus. Paul boasts in laying down his rights because in doing that, he says, I get to ju- be just like my Savior. I would rather you kill me than ever take away my ability to be just like my Savior. I'm going to be honest with you. I read that this week, and I'm like, am I even a Christian? <laughs> now, don't worry, I'm not running around with guilt and shame and like, doubt But I'm not like this. I I, I just take time and reflect. I'm like, how much of my week have I spent demanding my rights, (laughs) demanding people get on board with my agenda, saying I have a right to my comfort, a right to my anger, a right to do things the way I want to do them? And here's the Apostle Paul saying, I'd rather die. (laughs) Than not be able to lay down my rights. <laughs> Blew me up this week. Church, we spend so much time fighting to hold on and demand our rights, and here's the Apostle Paul saying, I would rather die than let, not be able to let them go. And why? Because he knows that's who Jesus is. In that, there is a privilege to be like Jesus. Like, as we confess this morning, Jesus, who is God the Son, God in the flesh, did not stand on this fact. Jesus didn't demand his rights. He didn't go, hey, look, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Everything was created through me. I don't have to lay down my life. I don't have to become human. I don't need to do this. I can live in the fullness and the freedom and the privileges of being God and had every right to do that. And yet, what does he do? Jesus says in John 10, 18, he says, no one takes my life. I willingly give it. Willingly lays down his rights. Willingly lays down his rights to what point? To become a servant. And not just a servant, but someone willing to die on a cruel Roman cross so that you and I can be set free from our sin that you and I can be forgiven and our shame washed away so the power of sin can be broken in our lives and we can be given new life in him and we can walk in the power of love and grace and mercy and compassion and sacrifice. Jesus willingly laid down his life to renew and restore all things. That's the love of Jesus. That's the scope of his willingness to lay down his rights. And Paul goes, Jesus was that way. It is my privilege to be able to do that. That's what my savior, my master, my king did. Well, why would I not take every opportunity to be like him? What a privilege, what a joy, what excitement. That's why he says, I would rather someone kill me than take away my ability to do this. Because here's what else. For Paul to be able to walk as Jesus walked, he experienced an intimacy with Christ. You see, when we walk as Jesus walked, when we step away from ourselves and our pride, when we start to, when we stop controlling our own lives and trying to do things on our own and live the way we want to live, and we actually step out in faith and have to depend upon the Holy Spirit, here's what happens. We get real close to Jesus because we have no other option. When we let go of ourselves and let go of our control and let go of our methods and trust in Christ, there is Jesus right by our side and boy, do we hold tight to him. And Paul, he knew this. He knew when he laid down his rights and he had to trust God for his livelihood, he had to trust God for everything, there was Jesus with him and he experienced a sweetness of intimacy. A sweetness that only came by being like Christ, walking as Jesus walked. And he wouldn't let anybody take that away from him. Better, better than experiencing some material benefit of being in Christ is knowing Christ better than freedoms and rights in Christ is being like Christ. Is this how you and I think about our rights and our freedoms? (laughs) Could it be, could it be, friends, that the reason we struggle feeling close to Jesus, the reason we can walk sort of spiritually anemic, is because we're unwilling to lay down these things, whatever they may be that we're not actually walking as Jesus walked? Could, could it be that if, that if we adopted this mindset, if our hearts were shaped in this, and we started to let go of rights and privileges and comforts, as God called us to, that there would be a spiritual vitality that would awaken in our hearts, in your heart, in my heart, in us as a church? I mean, can you imagine what would happen as a community if we all started living this way? The amount of Holy Spirit power that would be unleashed When we start walking like Jesus, being like Jesus, people see this community like, wow, they look a lot like Jesus. That's really cool. I want to be a part of that. Can you imagine what God could do with us and through us in this city, advancing the gospel through us when we lay down our rights, when we as a community stand up and say, I would rather die than anyone take away my ability to lay down my rights. (laughs) I don't know about you, that sounds incredible, but it also scares me because I know what's, what's at stake. I know what that's going to require of me and us being so countercultural, pushing against a really strong wave that is just bearing down on us. It would mean letting go and laying down things that we hold so tightly to, things that are good. That's what's hard about this. It's not necessarily just laying down sin. It's laying down good things but laying those things down for the sake of the gospel and the glory of Christ, being like Jesus. And here's the beauty of this, friends. Here's the beauty, is that in Christ's call that we would willingly lay down our rights, it's not through manipulation and guilt. Our our culture likes to try to get people to do things give up things through manipulation and guilt. If I shame you enough, I'll get you to let go of something. If I shame you enough, I'll get you to change. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, hey, follow me. Come be like me. Come know my grace. Come know my love. Come know my power. Come know the life that is in me, and then come join me on mission, and guess what? I'll make you fishers of men. My kingdom will go forth, and you'll be a part of that, And I'm going to use you to bring more people into my kingdom. Come join me. Come be like me. That's what Jesus does. He points to himself in all the glory and the majesty and the grace and the love that is in him. And he says, come be like me. No shame there. No guilt. No condemnation. The glorious person of Jesus Christ. That's what he holds out to us this morning, church. He is saying, come, follow me. Lay these things down and come follow me. Come be like me. In light of that, church, in light of what Christ calls us to, in light of the glory that is in Jesus, are we willing to do this? Friends, so much of the media and the news and the social media And the politics of our day, they scream, demand your rights. Fight for your rights. Don't let anybody ever take them away from you. Fight to keep all of the comforts and the privileges, all the things that you have worked hard for, all the things that are yours. And look, in our sin, that part of us that still likes to try to find comfort and security and status and identity, it latches on to that message it latches on to those things because we have this gospel amnesia where we think life is found in those things. And here's my fear for us. We spend far, far, far too much time looking at those things and being shaped by those things rather than Christ and his word. And so as we, as we continue to wrestle out application of this, verse, of this passage and this section of 1 Corinthians... I want to, again, start by calling us to reorient our hearts. I and mean, what most has your heart? You want to know? What do you most fight for? What do you get the most worked up for? What would you say, I would rather die than let you take that from me? Friends, would you rather die than give up rights or rather die than lose the opportunity to lay them down because in that other people will be built up in Christ. You will be like Jesus and you'll experience intimacy with him. Is Jesus glorious to us? Is his grace, his love, his mercy, his majesty, everything to us? Is he our king? Is following him and being like him? everything to us.